so many instances along this sailing adventure and in life where we're guided to let go of how we think things should unfold. We're guided to release the resistance of what is and just surrender and trust that what is happening is in our best interest and however it unfolds is perfect. Welcome back to the Director Vibe podcast. I'm your host and director of Vibes, Leslie Schultz, recording a very special Travel Diaries episode for you to capture the magic of the last two months or so where I was living aboard a beautiful 46-foot sailboat and cruising around the Bahamas. I decided to wait to record this episode until I returned home here in Lake Tahoe so that I could really share the full experience of what it was like to travel over 200 nautical miles from Southern Florida to Eleuthera in the Bahamas, and what it was really like living aboard a sailboat for two months with three other people and two large blind dogs. In two full months of sailing, we anchored at a dozen different gorgeous locations and spent a few weeks at three different marinas. There have been a lot of adventures, mostly incredible weather, all the quality time with my favorite human, and oh boy, so many lessons to soak in. I observed so much about myself, my life, and the desires I have for my future, and I want to share all of it with you, so this is definitely going to become a two-part episode. There is a lot to dive into, but I want to start by sharing the biggest lesson or perhaps the biggest change that I've noticed within myself that feels really important to share, especially with this audience here at the Director Vibe podcast. I used to really resonate with the work hard, play harder kind of vibe, and with my never not working tendencies in full swing as they used to be, I would feel compelled to like over schedule every single day with activities, unintentionally burning myself out while I was traveling the same way that I did when it came to my work. For example, when I took a solo trip to Hawaii a few years ago, I spent every single night out partying until like 2 or 3 a.m. I would take a quick nap and then jump in the rental car to catch the sunrise at a new beach. I did that every single day for 11 days because I didn't want to miss out on a single moment of the action. I wanted to jam pack as much fun as I could and guess what happened when I returned home? I crashed hard and it took me weeks to recover and get back to my normal level of energy. My need to constantly be on the go, the anxiety that led me to fill every single day with all the activities and all the things, and that constant feeling of worrying that I'd be missing out on something if I didn't jam-pack every minute of every day with something amazing and unforgettable, it was exhausting. It's exhausting even to say that, but it's how I operated in every aspect of my life for so long, and I didn't know another way. Until now, I know better now, and I'm hyper aware of when this pattern starts to creep back in because of all of the work that I've done. I've talked about this so much throughout the podcast, and I noticed this shift and this expanded awareness within myself over and over again in these last few months. I've gained this comfortability with slowing down. I've found this peace in relaxing and doing absolutely nothing that I never knew about before. It's something that I've worked really hard to shift in my day-to-day life, and it was so amazing to be able to bring that same vibe into my adventures because it allowed me to actually enjoy the time I had by doing less. I have so much fun creating these special Travel Diaries episodes on the podcast. I hope you enjoy them just as much as I enjoy recording them, and traveling is something that is still very new to me. I mean... 
The fact is, the Bahamas is only my second country that I've been to. It's the only, it's the second country on my passport. That's it. But it's something that I've always dreamed of doing. And recording these episodes not only helps me to lock in and celebrate the vibe of each experience that I had, but I love creating these episodes because these adventures have done a lot to support the internal work of directing my vibe. I'm by no means a travel expert, but this is my show and I'm here to share my experience and the lessons that I've gained, the things I'm, I have observed within myself with each bit of travel feels so important to share with you. It would be easy to say the changes that have happened during these trips or the lessons I've learned or maybe because of the beautiful places that I was able to see or maybe even the new cultures I was able to witness. And perhaps that's partially true. But the real expansion has come from the way that I've chosen to move through and be present in these experiences. I'm so big on setting intentions. I set intentions every day, every new year, and yes, at the start of every trip I go on. That's how I begin to direct my vibe as I move through the unknown of a new place or situation. When I went to Nicaragua, for example, my first international experience in 2019, I set the intention to surrender, to truly embrace the idea of traveling without any plan whatsoever and just let the universe surprise me and oh boy, did it ever. And then when I went to Puerto Rico this time last year, my intention was to slow down. I wanted to create space for new ideas and opportunities to flow and really allow myself to let go of that need to always be busy. Both of these experiences and the intentions that I set beforehand created powerful lessons that I shared with you in previous Travel Diaries episodes. I highly recommend checking those out. But this trip, ah, the adventure of a lifetime, sailing around the Bahamas with the love of my life, two great friends and their dogs on a 46-foot sailboat. It's really difficult to put into words how much good this has done for my mind, my body, and my soul. These last two months have been much less about big, expansive changes, as my intention this time around was simply to practice embodying the version of me that I've been working so hard to step into. I've felt truly alive, incredibly challenged, overjoyed, filled with gratitude, and inspired. All of those feelings ran through me every single day on this voyage. I honestly didn't expect to love the sailing lifestyle as much as I did, but these past two months gave me a taste of a life that I didn't know would become one of my now biggest live stream for the future. And I am so, 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 so over the moon excited to tell you all about it. So I shared a little bit of how this adventure began in the last episode. I'm not going to rehash our details and our adventures in Florida. I'm going to start by diving right into our first major passage because it's a story filled with excitement, struggle, redemption, and celebration, all the things that the best stories are built on. So on the 1st of February, we lifted our anchor outside of Key Biscayne, Florida around 1 or 2 a.m. and motored out into the Atlantic Ocean. I was filled with excitement and to be honest, was also a bit nervous for what was expected to be an 8 to 10 hour sail from Florida to Bimini in the Bahamas because we were expecting swells to be somewhat on the larger side with strong southwest winds. For my non-sailor friends here, that means it was going to be a pretty fast but rather bouncy ride through the night across the Gulf Stream. To prepare myself, try to calm my anxiety from what had happened on the last voyage like this I took, I and uh, you know, hopefully prevent some seasickness, 
I meditated and then I popped a Dramamine and rocked those dorky seasickness bracelets that you can get at like CVS before we left. It definitely helped to keep my stomach and my mind calm, but holy shit, it made me so drowsy and really, really cold too. I wasn't, so, I wasn't expecting to be so cold from that. Everybody else was fine on the boat and I was like freezing. So to be honest, I don't really remember a whole lot of the details until about halfway through the passage. It was like right as the sun began to rise, the drowsiness wore off and the excitement started to lift and it came alive. I started cracking jokes and joining in on the fun. We all worked really well together on that passage. Lindsay kept us fed and on course. Her Steve steered us along and my Steve kept the sails trimmed to perfection, which actually got us to our destination hours ahead of schedule. The marina we wanted to dock at wasn't even open yet and our lighting was terrible. So we slowed down to loiter outside the channel until we had some better lighting to go in because this was gonna be our first encounter with the extremely shallow water of the Bahamas. And with a boat that drafts six feet, we had to be careful. The wind and the swells were doing exactly what we'd read and all the guidebooks would make our entrance into this particular channel quite dangerous. In fact, all the guidebooks we read specifically said if these conditions existed to not even attempt to enter the channel. We didn't really listen to that. And after loitering outside for as long as we possibly could, we ignored that advice completely and started to head in towards Brown's Marina on North Bimini. A few minutes into the rough channel, I felt the keel of the boat hit the sand. We all kind of just looked at each other like, oh shit, oh shit. My Steve was up on the bow of the boat trying to be an extra set of eyes. He just held on tighter and thankfully didn't. Nobody fell off the boat, nothing bad happened. But this is definitely not something you want to happen to run aground is bad. Thankfully, the waves lifted us off right away from what we discovered is marked as the April 2020 sandbar. <laughs> that felt so fitting. Like, of course, of course it's called that. So the rough entrance that we had to Bimini was actually the most challenging part of this six and a half to seven hour voyage. And we made it through totally unscathed with just a brief love tap from the bottom of the sea. I like to think of it as a little cheeky hello from the Bahamas, like, welcome. <laughs> when we called into the marina, the dock master had us crab walk the 46-foot boat into the most difficult possible slip. But it was the only one they had available, so we had to take it. And after securing the dock lines and cracking a much-deserved celebratory voyage beer at 9 a.m., we were greeted by dozens of other boaters who all claimed to be just holding their breath, watching us go through that channel and getting knocked about. We had officially made it to the Bahamas, and oh boy, did we make an entrance. <laughs> It was time to celebrate and celebrate we did all freaking day. Let me just tell you, the only hangover I had this entire trip was the day after our arrival. <laughs> Regardless of that hangover, I started the day just as I start every single day and continued to start every single day while on the boat by holding space for myself with rituals that helped me to anchor into the energy I wanted to embody. That's right. My morning routine of journaling, meditating, and working out remained consistent as fuck throughout this entire adventure because it's not all sunshine and white sand beaches. Well, I mean, it sort of is, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges that come up. And from day one, I was committed to prioritizing my energy so that I could navigate any changes or challenges that came up without letting things affect my internal state. Each and every day, I chose to be present, grateful, and show up as my most vibrant and authentic self. 
and through these rituals and holding space for myself, that is how I know how to do that. Now we spent a full week in Bimini and explored some incredible places, including our first white sand beach. We got to have some local cuisine and my favorite part of this whole week there was touring the dolphin house. We get to meet and get a private tour from Ashley Saunders, who is a highly educated, incredibly talented poet, historian, teacher, and Biminite. He's spent over 25 years building the Dolphin House as his family's homestead. This masterpiece of a three-story building was built entirely out of shells and scraps and what most would consider litter from the local beaches and all sorts of things that I never expected to see in a structure of a building were like in the walls and the ceilings and the floors. It was incredible. I'm going to share a bunch of photos and videos of this magical place on my Instagram soon. But during our personal tour, Ashley shared that he considers this building a bridge between human and dolphin consciousness and that it is his personal tribute to the dolphins who he claims to have saved him and saved his life. It's truly a special place, a bohemian national treasure, and the ultimate labor of love that I feel so honored to have toured. Ah, I really loved our time in Bimini. I enjoyed it so much. It's where we got our first taste of bohemian bread. Mm-mm-mm. I spotted my first sea turtle, which I later discovered is totally my spirit animal. And Bimini is where I got my first taste of how incredibly supportive and generous the cruising community is. It's also where I spotted the largest stingrays I've ever seen. Oh my God. We got to enjoy delicious lobsters brought directly to our boat from the locals and survived an entire week parked above water that constantly had dozens of bull sharks swimming about. So there was no swimming off the back of the boat at that marina. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. But after a full week of this welcoming and friendly island, and fixing some unexpected boat issues that's bound to happen, we ventured on with a 19-hour overnight sail to our next destination, the Berry Islands. We took shifts watching for traffic and navigating our way through the dark seas on this long passage, and even let the auto helm take over for a quick lobster passage dinner. Good news here, no Dramamine was necessary for me this time. I was starting to get used to the motion of the sailboat, and even when the winds picked up in the middle of the night, I did just fine. One of the most bizarre things we saw on that overnight passage was dozens of cruise ships literally just parked in the middle of the ocean. They were anchored with all of their lights on. None of them are able to operate right now, obviously, because of COVID restrictions, but I'm guessing it's more cost effective for them to be anchored and partially staffed than docked back in the States. And maybe there's not even enough docks. I don't know, but there's another reason they were parked there and we were about to find out. hours at sea, hearing my man scream out, land ho, felt so amazing. I can't even describe. There is something super eerie about the first island we spotted in the berries though. It turns out the northernmost island, Little Stirrup Key, is owned by a cruise line. 
So in a normal non-COVID existence, that island would have been packed with thousands of people who were sold on going to what they called, quote, a perfect day at Coco Cay, where you have your own private island for the day. What we experienced, however, was a completely desolate theme park, complete with water slides, beach cabanas, dozens of jet skis, and bass music blasting throughout the day and night. Cruise ship after cruise ship pulled up to the long dock to practice docking there, and one of them even made an announcement as if the ship was full of guests and they just arrived at their destination. He totally had me fooled for a hot second, but the only people we saw were a few workers on the island, which I was kind of bummed about because that means that there's like, you know, someone looking out for it and you're probably not supposed to trespass and go enjoy that all to yourself. So we didn't, but it felt really strange and honestly... Sort of reminded me of like that creepy vibe of a nightclub that's blasting music and the lights are flashing, but no one's in it. <laughs> we only stayed at that anchorage one night because we came to the Berry Islands for isolated beaches, not theme parks and cruise ships. That was super weird, but we did get to go for a short snorkel before we left that area. And something you should know about me right now is that snorkeling, sharks, and so much about the ocean gives me serious anxiety. <laughs> So I bet right now you're wondering why the hell did I sign up for this trip and put myself in a situation that I'd have so much anxiety rise up? Well, that's because I enjoy challenging myself. I enjoy navigating my way through fear and building confidence by facing those fears. Every time I feel fear and lead myself through it anyways, I gain more confidence and stack up evidence that helps me to tap into courage for the next time I feel afraid. So this snorkeling excursion was a prime example of that. The four of us took off on the dinghy to snorkel in the area that was not too far from the boat, but far enough so that we weren't like in the course of all those cruise ships moving about. And on the way, I spotted hundreds of jellyfish below, which didn't exactly fill me with warm fuzzies to jump in and snorkel around. But as soon as we got to the snorkeling location, I didn't see any jellyfish in the immediate location. So I took a deep breath, jumped off, and soon after got a mask full of water had to have a couple of frustrating retries and, you know, adjustments with a new mask that I'd just purchased in Florida. Once we got it set, I was off to explore. One of the main reasons I have such a hard time with snorkeling is I always struggle to breathe normally. Like, I have, I have to consciously remind myself to just slow my breath and relax and breathe normal through my mouth. It seems so simple as I say it out loud, but doing it is so much more difficult. But as soon as I relaxed... I swam my face straight through a dozen little box jellyfish, the ones that I had seen before, and I had the exact wrong reaction. I freaked out and I started flailing my arms and legs around, swam back to the boat and jumped in the dinghy before even realizing that they weren't stinging me at all. There's actually no reason to freak out. It's totally fine. Everyone else is still in the water and no one's freaking out, just me. So after I calmed down, jumped back in, I got to see some beautiful fishies and starfish and coral heads. I was breathing normal. I was enjoying myself. And then my boyfriend spots an eel. He like reaches down to touch what looked like an anchor and an eel creeps out from a hole and wants to attack him. He pulls his arm back and the eel stays put, but that was enough for me. I was like, no, mm, 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 back in the boat. <laughs> I got better at snorkeling as this trip went on, but only because I continued to move through the fear little bits at a time and trust myself every step of the way. Now, I'd never heard of the Berry Islands before, but it turns out most cruisers or sailors overlook this area, perhaps because of the cruise ships and it's usually really busy from that. I don't know. 
Either way, I'm so grateful that we didn't skip this spectacular area. While we were cruising around the Berry Islands, I really started to get accustomed to my routine of meditating and working out on the bow of the boat. I continued on with my bar exercises, literally using the boom as my bar and getting used to the motion underneath my feet and really getting those sea legs ready with all of this extra balance training. And I would usually do this while the boys were off fishing. And once that was all done, we'd venture to land via the dinghy, AKA the family car. <laughs> Our adventures through the Berry Islands were amazing. We got to hike to a blue hole, which is a, a giant saltwater pond in the middle of an island that we hiked to and it was amazing. Everybody else jumped in off this cliff and I'm a little scared cat with heights so I went down the trail and jumped off like a smaller area. <laughs> we got to enjoy so many islands and white sand beaches all to ourselves and help the boys forage for seafood and so much more, it was amazing. Throughout the Berry Islands, we anchored at four different places. We met so many incredible people along the way each location we visited was stunning, absolutely breathtaking, but there's one that stands out in my mind above all the rest. It's an area called La Petite Key. And in this little area, this little bay, there was a about one mile long beach aptly named Sugar Beach. The softest sand I've ever felt on my feet, paired with turquoise waters, adorable beach houses that had absolutely no one in them, and only a few other boats anywhere in sight. It was the very definition of paradise, and we enjoyed the heck out of it for a few nights until, unfortunately, the swell picked up and we were forced to move to a new location that was better protected. And that's the beauty of living on the water. You're always at the mercy of Mother Nature, and thriving in this kind of lifestyle really requires a deep level of surrender. You have to be able to go with the flow, let go of your attachment to any particular location, schedule, and so on. Trust me, none of us wanted to leave Sugar Beach, but we really had to just know that there was going to be another beautiful place in the next anchorage and that this next location was going to be better protected and would also provide just as much beauty and adventure. So with a quick day sail and some fishing, we discovered that to be 100% accurate. Our next stop found us at a place called Soldier Key. This spot holds a special place in my heart because it's where both my man and I mastered the art of slowing down. Well... That's not totally true. He's always been a master of this, but I tapped into the vibe with ease. We enjoyed days on days of no plans, pure relaxation in another breathtaking slice of paradise. The main thing I remember from this anchorage is truly embracing the opposite vibe from that work hard, play harder mantra that I once related to so deeply. At this anchorage, we met a fellow sailor whose dog regularly hops off the boat and then he climbs back up using the swim ladder on the transom, which is like the cutest thing I've ever heard of. Um, we also had our first encounter with a boat named Hazel James. Their dinghy was built completely by hand and the husband of the couple rows them everywhere. They don't have an outboard motor by choice. And we'd be seeing this couple again soon and discover that that rowboat also has a sail that can be added to it, which is so cool to see. Oh my God, they will be remembered forever. Our final stop in the Berry Islands was a lively one for sure. It was an area that reminded us all to surrender and trust. We had gotten somewhat of a later start that day and needed to get 
over three nautical miles from shore to make a deposit from the restrooms, if you know what I'm saying. So that had us arrive at our next anchorage a little bit later than we'd expected. The light wasn't what we wanted, but we made it work, because that's what you gotta do. The first spot that we had in mind to anchor wasn't really protected enough from the swell and would have been just as rock and rolly as La Petite Key a few nights ago. So we tried to go to another spot behind one of the small islands in the area and ran aground for the second time on the trip. And we eventually found a spot with barely enough water below the keel and settled in for the evening. It was such a bizarre and deceiving area because there's water as far as the eye can see to the west. It looks like you could just go for miles and miles and miles. But almost all of it is only a couple inches to maybe two feet deep at the most. And the next boat that came in to anchor proved our charts correct as it went further than we did and it completely ran aground multiple times. And so, I mean, it's like, at least it wasn't just us. <laughs> I don't know, but that's just kind of, that's something that happens and you got to roll with it. So shortly after settling in, Lindsay spotted a shooting star and I was super eager to find one as well. So I tilted my head back to see the stars outside of the Bimini without realizing that my favorite and only sunglasses that I brought with were still on top of my head and they went overboard. Lucky for me, that shallow anchorage proved helpful and we did get them back the next day, but I wanna talk about this for a second because dropping your sunglasses overboard seems like such a small thing to get upset over, but for some reason I had to work really hard internally to not let that be defeating. It just seemed like such a stupid thing to do and these are expensive sunglasses and I, it's just stuff, but they meant a lot to me and I, oh, I was beating myself up over it. And I spent the next morning shifting that and practicing some mindfulness and gratitude exercises to release all the expectations I had of finding them and feeling content with however that outcome came to be. So as soon as I came to that place of peace, regardless of the outcome, everything is fine, bam, one of the Steves finds my sunglasses shortly after jumping in the water to snorkel around and look for them. There are so many instances along this sailing adventure and in life where we're guided to let go of how we think things should unfold. We're guided to release the resistance of what is and just surrender and trust that what is happening is in our best interest and however it unfolds is perfect. We could have let the first two anchorage attempts or my mishap with the sunnies totally spiral into a negative experience, but instead by going with the flow, focusing on gratitude in the moment, and just trusting that it's all going to work out as it's meant to, the universe gets to show up and support us. It gets to surprise us. And the anchorage turned out to be equally as friendly and surprising as it was lively. We made friends with plenty of other boaters, ran into Hazel James again, who totally saved the day with another boat issue, by the way. Shout out to them if they happen to be listening. <laughs> and we got invited aboard another sailboat for fish tacos and had a wonderful night, oh my gosh, after such a fun day of exploration. Now, besides the boat we'd been living on for the past month or so, I hadn't experienced the interior of any other live-aboard boats. My experience with sailing up until this point is with race boats, and so the, the area below is not, not designed to be like lived aboard. <laughs> but as soon as we stepped onto sailing vessel Fruit Bat, I had this unexpected feeling of desire rush over me. The interior had been totally redone on this 1973 Pearson, and it was gorgeous. 
The boat also happened to be for sale, which had me wishing that it had an extra 75 grand lying around. After a full evening on this boat, I realized a new desire and vision for my life that I never imagined. Turns out, I want to live aboard a sailboat full-time and travel the world with the love of my life. Now I'm going to pause the story and expand on this for a hot minute because it is freaking big. Living on a sailboat full-time and traveling the world has always been my man's dream. Anytime I've asked him, had that conversation, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? If you could do anything in your life, blah, 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 any of those kind of questions, that's where we always land. It's always coming back to sailing around the world. And when we first started dating a couple years ago, and really up until the point of this trip, I couldn't really envision it for myself. And I'm definitely not someone who's going to just like take on the goals of my significant other or be agreeable just to, to be agreeable. That's not me. So it made me a little bit nervous and uneasy and kind of uncertain about where this relationship would go because it wasn't really an option in my mind yet. It's not that I was closed off to it, it's just that it wasn't my dream. And again, I didn't want to take on someone else's dream or give up on any of my own. So fast forward back to the present moment of this story, I was already really loving the lifestyle of sailing and had started to kind of see how that could fit into my life in the future. But there's something big that really clicked for me when we stepped aboard this sailboat. I saw myself and my man living happily aboard this boat or one similar to it. I saw us finding and maybe a similar boat and renovating it ourselves and totally making it our own space and functional for all of the things the same way that we've done with his camper. And I could feel how happy we would both be and allowed myself to let this desire sink in. Another aspect of this that I really want to touch on is that trusting and truly honoring my desires, both small and big, it's fairly new to me. Trusting that I can create any reality and not dismissing my visions for my life that seem too big or too out of reach. That's scary and I'm learning to really let myself go there. So the next morning I took my coffee out to the bow of the boat as I usually do to journal and meditate and normally when I do that I'm just kind of staring off into the horizon with no particular point of focus but this time I stared at that boat that boat that had expanded my mind and my heart and allowed me to feel a deep desire for a new way of living that I never thought possible, that I never imagined was something that I would want. And in that moment, I decided that this might not be the boat we're going to buy, but we will buy a boat of our own someday. And it might not be right now, and that's okay. It's going to happen. I wouldn't have this dream in my heart if it wasn't meant for me. And so it is. I think it would be really easy to let this desire get buried in the busyness of normal life after returning home. It's equally as tempting to wish for this lifestyle now or feel anxious or worried that it might not ever happen. All of those versions of reality stem from a place of lack, a place of not trusting myself or that I'm fully supported by the universe, and they most likely lead to this dream never coming to life. I don't want this to become one of those dreams that I look back on later in life and wish I'd found the courage or the time or whatever to make it happen. Instead, I'm choosing to embody that version of reality now. I'm choosing to show up in my life as if that's already happened, as if that's already done. There are so many ways that I can tap into the nomadic, minimalist lifestyle built on the foundation of freedom, simplicity, and continuing to make an impact. I can do that now. 
we plan to continue camper life when the weather warms up in a month or two. And with this positive outlook paired with embodying that lifestyle, it's only a matter of time until the perfect sailboat finds its way into our lives. I'll probably do a whole nother podcast to follow up on manifesting our dreams through embodiment and expansion later on because I want to talk more about this and help you lock it in for yourself. But wow, we have covered so much here today. Believe it or not, I still have so many adventures and so many observations and life lessons to share with you from this two-month sailing voyage. This trip had a really big twist at the end that I didn't see coming, and I want to share it all with you. So I'm making this a two-part episode. I hope that you'll stay tuned for the next episode where our adventures around an area of the Bahamas called Eleuthera help me to continue to become a better sailor, help me make an impact with the work that I'd automated before leaving the States, and help me remain anchored in my own vibrant energy as some really big challenges and changes take place. If you enjoyed this podcast, I really, really want to know, so please take a screenshot, share your favorite part of it in your stories over on Insta, where I'm hanging out a lot of the time. Be sure to tag me at LeslieAllison33 and at Direct Your Vibe Podcast so I can celebrate you for spending this time with me and directing your vibe. Keep your vibes high, keep adventuring, and we'll talk soon. Whoa, this is the life for me.